I'm your host, Fraser Bailey, and welcome to the VegUp Podcast, where we talk mindset, psychology, plant-based nutrition, lifestyle, and big dreams. So if you want to get your head in the game, level up, and become the best version of you, listen in. Let's go. Eating a vegan plant-based diet won't make you magically lose weight. Some common fat loss mistakes. Guys, what is up? Today, I wanted to talk all about different fat loss mistakes that I see people doing, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, uh, you know, just lurking in different groups on social media. I see many questions being posed about these different things. And then I see the responses that people are giving. And many of them are just out of context or partial truths. Well, sometimes it's not, not even true. And, and from a perspective of where my knowledge base is at, I recognize that someone is trying to sometimes share something that they think is true in their own experience and their context, but it doesn't necessarily relate to other people. So The first thing I want to say is often when people come to a vegan slash plant-based diet, they get told that the weight is just going to fall off. It's just going to body fat, fat loss is just going to be easy. Now, I will say that that can be the case for many people, but in many situations, that's not the case. And in many situations, people might not see any change at all, or they might actually gain weight. What's going on here, right? What's happening? And I'm going to talk to you about that by going through some different points that I have worth discussing today. So the first thing to remember is that you can eat any type of food. And if you're consuming too many calories, you will gain weight, whether it's avocado, rice, even spinach. (laughs) If you could stomach the volume of spinach required to consume 10,000 calories of spinach, which you probably couldn't because it would be so much volume that your stomach would be so distended. But you get my point. Any food is a fat loss or fat gain food if you eat enough of it. And so that's the first thing to remember is that when people come to a plant-based diet, if they're consuming large amounts of rice and large amounts of potato and large amounts of beans and large amounts of guacamole and large amounts of hummus and all these different things, you can easily spill over in total calories and get into a fat gain zone if you're not aware of what you're doing. Now, that being said, the reason why a vegan slash plant-based diet can be touted as being good for fat loss is because you are adding in more high volume, high water content, high fiber foods that usually are associated with having less calories. So think about this. If you're adding in big salads, big stir fries, you're adding in all those different things, it's a lot of volume. It'll fill your stomach up quite a lot, but it's not a lot of total calories. So that's usually why they say coming to this way of eating is associated with easier fat loss just because of the volumetrics of the food. It's not as calorie dense, but you can still get caloric density on a plant-based diet. So the other end of the spectrum is true where people who struggle to gain weight or want to build muscle, but they're constantly feeling bloated and distended. You need to do the opposite and add in high density foods, hemp seed, hummus, guacamole, nuts, seeds, smoothies, those types of things. So you need to do the opposite end of the spectrum. 
But the first thing is volumetrics. So it won't magically happen. It's all about your total consumption, the first thing. And people will then say, well, I'm consuming X amount of calories based on this calorie calculator. I'm first, I'm here to tell you that most calorie calculators are not going to predict accurately your, your needs. They're not going to predict accurately your metabolism. You, need, you would need to be strapped to electrodes and put in a lab and studied under strict conditions to understand exactly how your body is using calories. At the best guess, these calculators just basically kind of use generalizations based on your age, height, weight, um, approximate training output, approximate body composition. And, and through that, it gives you some rough approximation about how many calories you could be consuming. I'm here to tell you a couple of things. One, most people over overestimate their output. So they overestimate how hard they train and they overestimate how active they are. And so when they're putting in, well, I train really hard five days a week, it's not actually really hard from, from the context of the calculator. And so what will happen is the calculator will give them a higher caloric range that they should be hitting based on that intensity. But because they're not hitting that intensity, their needs are actually less than what the calculator is projecting. And so they follow the calculator projection and they either gain weight or see no change. It's because there's inaccuracies with your subjective view of your intensity of your training, but also it can never factor in your unique hormone profiles and, and nervous system and all these different things that actually dictate and govern what your body does with calories. Think about this. If you have a man and a woman and they're both given exactly the same amount of calories and the same training plan, I can guarantee you that for, in, in most situations, the man will build more muscle and they will lose more body fat. And the reason for that is because of hormone ratios. So high levels of testosterone, lower levels of estrogen, all serve different functions. I'm not saying that estrogen is a bad thing. It's, it's vital. It's very important. Um, it's very protective, even for men. But just alone, hormone profiles can dictate partitioning ratios of what your body does with those calories. Is it going to st store it as fat or is it going to attribute it to muscle building? What is it going to do with the calories you're consuming? And so straight away, you have to realize that it's not just about calories. It's about the chemistry in your body. So that's a more complex issue, which I'm going to kind of skim over later in this episode. The next thing, very common thing, is something that's a hard pill for people to swallow because they don't know what they don't know. Inaccuracies with tracking. Most people, I would argue, probably don't track accurately. It can be quite a quite a tedious and challenging thing at times to truly track accurately. Unless you're literally weighing everything on a digital scale, gram for gram, you're probably going to have discrepancies, which isn't a bad thing if, for example, I haven't tracked in years. I haven't tracked using digital scales or weighing anything in years. So I'm here to tell you, and all of our clients, majority of them don't do that and they get profound results. So I'm here to tell you that you don't need to track, but if you like tracking or you are tracking, it can create inaccuracies in the sense that you might be weighing um, a portion of cooked food versus dry. So like dry rice versus cooked rice. And so you might weigh the dry rice and then cook it and it's twice as much. So you're eating twice as much, but you're logging one measurement. So there's all kinds of indiscrepancies there. And then the, the biggest one is 
you know, what does a tablespoon of peanut butter look like? Most people's tablespoon of peanut butter is like three. And so straight away inaccuracies with tracking. It's really important to understand that you will most likely have a lot of deviations that accumulate to spill you over and block you from fat loss. So that's why often getting a coach to come in with with fresh eyes and a in an objective point of view, they can pinpoint those blind spots because you won't know what they are until you get them illuminated for you. So that's the second part. Another huge thing is not enough neat. <laughs> neat, what is that? So neat is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. What the heck does that mean, Fraser? So neat is basically non-exercise activity. Everything that is outside of you weight training or doing your CrossFit or doing your high intensity interval training or doing like actual cardio, it's it's just it's movement. It's living through the day. It's walking. How many steps are you getting? Are you vacuuming the house every day? Are you do you do a job as a cleaner? Is your job physical or is it sedentary? Are you sitting at a desk all day or you do do you have like a labor job? What does it look like? I'm telling you now, <clears throat> there is a huge advantage in increasing your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, even by getting 10,000 steps in per day. One of the commonalities that I've noticed with people who seem to um, lose body fat very easily, they all get 10,000 plus steps per day. The people who are just kind of fluffy looking and maybe have some muscle, but they're, they, you know, they have the, the extra weight around their hips and lower abdominal region, and it just kind of sticks around they tend to be more sedentary or they have extended periods where they're just sitting for long periods of time. That's why not only do you want to be getting 10,000 plus steps per day, but you want to be breaking that up periodically all through the day. You don't just want to get like 10,000 steps per day, one block in the morning and done and be sedentary for the rest of the day. You want to break that up through the day so your body's moving as much as you can, which is why if you... Uh, chunk down your work into like 20 or 30 minute blocks and then get up, go grab some water, go to the bathroom, move around for a minute, that can help break up that pattern. So that's a huge thing that people fall short on that can really move the needle in terms of your fat loss. Other things are things like fluffy accessory exercises during workouts and a lack of progressive overload. So what I mean by this is, you know, you've always got to look at the context of training outside of just nutrition. So nutrition is a huge part of fat loss. But one of the other things that I found that can be really detrimental to people and slow their progress with fat loss is they go into the gym and all their exercises they do are what's called accessory exercises. So it's things like bicep curls, tricep extensions, um, hamstring curls, calf raises, leg extensions ab crunches they do a thousand ab crunches it's these little movements that train little muscle groups that do not really contribute to a larger muscle building effect or caloric burn and so accessory exercises if you just search like accessory exercise definition on google you'll see it's like it's usually exercises that are only moving one joint it's like an isolation movement a lot of people do too much of those things. There's too much fluff. There's too many fluffy exercises. There's, there's an absence of big compound movements. And what I mean by that is the foundation of like deadlifts, squats, lunges, rows, pull-ups or pull-downs, overhead presses, dips, uh, chest presses. Those things should be the foundation 
of your training. And if they're not, you've probably got too much fluff in your routine and that is actually slowing. You're doing a lot of work. It's just not very efficient work. And so you might be in the gym for an hour, an hour and a half, but you're not maximizing your time. And that's why you feel burnout because you're putting in all this time and work and you're kind of painting yourself into a corner where you don't feel like you can train more, but it's because the stuff you're doing is fluff. And then the next part on top of that is a lack of progressive overload. I think most people don't really understand what this looks like. So they get into the gym, they just pick a random weight and they just go for it. And once they hit their 10 repetitions or their 15 repetitions, they just stop. The challenge with this is that usually they'll stop and they could have got another five or 10 reps out if they were really pushing hard. So there's this lack of what's called progressive overload. So progressive overload is essentially what drives muscle growth. It basically means that each week and each month, you need to find a way to make things more difficult with your training to, to warrant more muscle growth. And the reason why you need to warrant more muscle growth is because that stuff is metabolically active tissue. Metabolically active tissue is going to burn more calories at rest. It's going to raise your metabolism. So you don't just want to try and train. people. For example, when I see people posting their workout and how many calories they burn, that's completely irrelevant to me. It's more about how much muscle you're growing to burn calories outside of your workouts while you're resting, while you're sleeping. That's the main focus. That's how you sustain this long-term, guys. That's the most important thing to remember. It's kind of like in business, um, there's this whole sort of concept around if you're working and being paid for your work hour per hour, you're limited to how much you can make because if you're not working and you're not doing that hourly thing, you are not generating income. That's kind of like relying on burning calories during cardio and workout to get the result. Whereas if you can automate evergreen offers, basically like stuff, if you go online, for example, and you buy like a course or a program that's already been created and someone's created it once and they're not having to recreate it over and over again, or like you buy a book on Amazon, for example, that is what's called evergreen. That person makes money while they're sleeping because they've already written the book once, you buy it maybe months after they've written it and they make a, they make some money off that sale building muscle is the same so you are making you're burning calories while you're sleeping just like this person's making money while they're sleeping same principle most people have it completely backwards and that's why they burn out and they paint themselves into a corner where they get a result and they're like man I can't sustain this because they're trying to burn enough calories while they're awake in the hours that they're working and they're not thinking like an entrepreneur, like like they're not leveraging their time and their metabolism. And so with progressive overload, for example, you can either increase the weight, you can get in a couple of extra repetitions out with the same weight, or there's advanced techniques you can use. I, I, I deploy a lot of them in our coaching and in our programming because I know the effect that they have on transforming someone dramatically. And then the, another point to that is an absence of what's called RIR or reps in reserve. And um, this is a really interesting sort of uh, subjective slash objective measurement where you take a set, for example, like you're doing like a pull down or you're doing a machine row or whatever and pick a weight and then take do as many repetitions as you can to the point where you cannot do another repetition with without like your form breaking down that tells you where your your re zero reps in reserve tank lies what that means is that it's like an intensity measure so most people for example when they're training they'll leave like five reps in reserve if not more 
you need to be getting to the point where you're at least with one or one at the most two reps in reserve. I would say one rep in reserve, sometimes zero, which basically means that most people are not training hard enough, period. And that's why with the coaching that I do, for example, at a high enough level, I will even get people to send me videos of what they're doing and I can gauge based on their, just their, uh, their movement and the speed of their repetitions and even like their facial expressions, how close they are to zero reps in reserve and I can tell them to ramp it up or taper it down if needed. So that's a really good sort of um, perspective to get outside of your own head because you might not even know what that looks like. Another thing to understand coming back to calories is that a lack of tracking or being diligent or cognizant of what you're doing in the weekends or snacks or drinks. Most people, if they're consuming liquid calories in the form of drinks or they're snacking or they're deviating in the weekends, the, 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 the factor, the trifecta of those things combined can spill you over into calorie maintenance or surplus, even if you're aggressively dieting all week. So let's say you're aggressively dieting Monday through Friday. But then in the weekends, you're snacking, you're doing cheat meals, cheat days, you're drinking, whatever. Those calories in the weekend can be at such a high amount that that can push your total weekly intake into like maintenance or surplus, even if you're in a deficit Monday to Friday. So you need to understand that this is not just a, um, your body's not like this New York Stock Exchange where it's open Monday to Friday and then it closes for the weekend and you can do whatever you want. It open it operates on an open feedback loop, 24-7, 365. And whatever you do in that time period, it's going to come back in some way, shape or form. So you need to be aware of that if you're not. And then also, another thing that I find people kind of don't understand is that when they do refeeds or cheat meals or they eat off plan, it's usually on days that they're sedentary and they don't work out. Your body, there's a concept like I mentioned at the start of this episode called partitioning ratios. So partitioning ratios, essentially what your body does with calories, your body gets calories in, it breaks those calories down into amino acids, essential fatty acids, it breaks it down into, and, your, and the blood sugar starts circulating through your body. And your body, based on the chemistry of your body, your hormone profiles, your neurotransmitters, the stress on your nervous system, all this type of stuff, your body then starts to dictate, what am I going to do with these calories? Am I going to use it for muscle building? Am I going to store some extra as body fat? Am I going to use it to build uh, new hair cells, bone cells, um, you know, eye cell? Like what, what am I going to do with this stuff? And it partitions it to different uh, applications within the body to regenerate certain things. What I found and what the data suggests is that when you train on a day where you do a cheat meal or a refeed, your body partitions those, uh, those ratios of calories more readily into muscle glycogen storage and muscle repair than it does into fat storage. You essentially heighten your insulin sensitivity a little bit when you train, and that can help manage calories and improve your partitioning ratios in a way that is more complementary to fat loss. So what I say to people in summary is that if you're you know, having a refeed or a cheat meal on a day where you're not working out, that's really not maximizing what you should be doing. If you really want to maximize your body composition long term, you need to be training on the days where you're doing these meals, ideally training a big muscle group like legs or back. If you're just coming in and train abs and arms, that's really not going to cut it 
it's better than nothing, but it's still not going to cut it. Like if you train legs or back or something like that. So prioritize and allocate your refeeds or your cheat meals on these days. Another one to understand, and I can go into the whole subject about the quality of a refeed meal that drives partitioning ratios as well. Most people want to chow down on crappy food and it completely skews their partitioning ratios because realize, and like I've told you before, guys, food is like software. Your body is the hardware. Your body's the computer. Food is software. You put in crappy food. It's like you're uploading a virus into your hardware. How does a computer operate when it has a virus on it? It crashes, it slows down, applications don't work, it shuts down. How does it work when you operate or when you upload an, a, a good operating system update into it? It works faster, bugs are removed, everything, do, everything works more efficiently. It's the same when you use a refeed as a healthy strategic increase in calories, but it's predominantly healthy foods. Same thing here applies, guys. The common fitness industry is going to have you believe you can just be chowing down on donuts and burgers all the time and get your goals. You might get a physical result after enough grind, but you're not going to be healthy inside and you're going to feel good either. You're going to be dependent on tons of caffeine to get you going because your energy levels suck because your internal chemistry sucks. So remember that. That's To me, energy levels and mental clarity is like currency. For any high achiever, high performer, that stuff's currency because that's the stuff that like the creation, the inception of your dreams come out of that. And if you have brain fog and you're tired all the time, how likely is it that you're going to create those things in reality if you're not performing at your best? So remember that this comes, this is way deeper than just fat loss. Another thing is sleep cycles. A huge thing is just staying up too late. That's a big one. One of the, sometimes the most common, easy solutions are the most obvious ones. Go to bed earlier. If you go to bed at nine o'clock instead of midnight, you have hours less where you're fighting temptation and fighting your innate tendency to want to snack and chow down on things. Just go to bed. And then you wake up earlier in the morning, you have more time to do a good morning routine, you feel more fresh in the morning, you don't need as much caffeine, you get more productive in the morning, you feel great, you feel more accomplished. Go to bed earlier, don't, so you don't even have to be consciously awake to fight the temptations to eat food. So staying up late is a huge one. Most people who are in great shape and or high achievers, they don't stay up late. They go to bed earlier because they understand that they just If they're going to be conscious during that window of time, there's just more choices that they're going to have to navigate that they don't want to have to make decisions around. They want to preserve that cognitive energy for more important things. Another thing, obvious, another obvious one, is bringing trigger foods into the house. Your biology is wired to really override your common sense as much as possible. So if you're going to the store and you're bringing in a huge bags of junk food and stuff, good luck with that. And recognize that that is really setting you up for failure and don't use the reason oh my kids like this if you should if you're not if you don't want to be consuming it or you should not be consuming it why should your kids be consuming it that's so that's a common one that i hear right find healthier alternatives for them and one of the things that i suggest is that if you like to go to the store and have like a fun treat or something like that, get something that's like a single serve item. For instance, like when we go to the store, I like to get like a fun little tasty pro vegan protein bar 
one one protein bar that's it i'll have that so when i get home it's gone or like a single serve bag of chips or something get a single serve item rather than a monstrous um, family pack because as soon as you bring those trigger foods into the house you are walking into the lion's den like you are really setting yourself up to struggle so you really need and that comes back to making sure that when you go shopping, you have a clear grocery list, you stick to that, and you don't go to the store while you're hungry or stressed. Get to the store while you're in, while you're fed and while you're calm so you can maintain composure. Ideally on like a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning or something like that when it's not quiet when it's quiet and it's not busy. Set yourself up for success, guys. Another thing to recognize is just not enough exposure or time under tension. And what I mean by this is you just haven't been in the game long enough. You know, most people think that they're going to see dramatic changes in a, in a month. And sometimes you will. But very often, if you want proper long-term changes, it requires a true lifestyle evolution. And that can take time. It can take time. So be patient on that front. Another thing is painting yourself into a corner. I see this often with a lot of fitness people where they just increase the exercise. Oh, you're not losing weight or you're not seeing change. Let's increase your cardio. Let's increase your training sessions and let's decrease the calories. And what happens eventually with that model? You tell me, what happens? Eventually, you get to a point where you're training so much and you're eating so little. How do you sustain your result long term? You get the result, but can you sustain training two hours a day, six days a week and eating 1,500 calories? Good luck with that. How long are you going to sustain that for? Like a month at the most before your hormone levels crash? And men, you'll experience depression, low libido, insomnia. In women, monthly cycle is going to get completely disrupted. You'll probably get brittle nails, dry skin, all those other things that are associated with thyroid deoptimizing because your, your hormone levels are being affected. It's not good, right? Cravings and hunger will go up. Because your, your catabolic, your cortisol hormones are going to be higher than normal. Your energy and your focus are going to dip because you're not getting the proper hormone and neurotransmitter precursors that you need. And what are you going to do? You're going to grab more caffeine. <laughs> more caffeine is not the solution, guys. It's like putting like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. You, you, not, you'll bleed out at some point. All right? So remember that. I mean, you've got to start with the end in mind from a long-term perspective. And that's why I do what I do. Honestly, if it comes back to anything you can take from this, it's why I coach the way I do. Because most people don't do this and they need to. Another thing is calorie cycling. You know, like having days during the week where it's a rest day where you might do a bit of intermittent fasting, 24-hour fast. Maybe you just do one meal in that day. And then on training days, you increase your calories to uh, accommodate for that extra load or demand. So calorie cycling. I do a lot of calorie cycling. I think it's pretty handy. And if you don't understand that, again, it's why you need programming because calorie cycling be, can be quite effective. You know, just a 24, even a 16-hour fast to 24. Sometimes people do 48-hour fast and they can see dramatic changes just with that one addition, you know, once a week, once every two weeks. And that can help them break through a plateau that, that before was like a glass ceiling for them. And then another thing that I think is a common one is this obsession with just focusing on macros and not micronutrients. So what I mean by that, macronutrients, things like protein, carbohydrates, fats. I see this in the groups all the time. So my, my calories are this and my macros are this. That's not telling me a lot. It's not telling me the micronutrients in your diet. It's not telling me, are you consuming inflammatory foods are you, or are you consuming foods rich in antioxidants? 
Are you consuming a lot of fiber or not enough fiber? Are you consuming things that are really impairing uh, insulin sensitivity and affecting your blood glucose levels negatively? Or are you, consuming, are you consuming things that are improving insulin sensitivity and optimizing hormones? Remember, food is software in the, in the body and your body is that hardware, the computer. And so it's not just about protein. You can hit protein, carbohydrates, and fats and still have junk foods and foods that aren't that good for you, processed foods, in your diet. That's why micronutrients, different colored foods. I talk about this in some of my other season two episodes, guys. Go back, listen to them about nutrient rotation and eating the rainbow, how different colored foods represent different micronutrients. What are micronutrients? Different vitamins and minerals. Why does this matter? Because your body, especially when your hunger and cravings are high, it's typically because it's trying to find a specific vitamin or mineral that it needs, and it's sending a signal. You're misinterpreting that signal, and you're just grabbing anything to eat. And the reason why the signal keeps coming back is because you're not actually fulfilling that need. Maybe you need more magnesium. Maybe you're low in selenium. Maybe you're low in omega-3s. And so for that reason, you keep getting the signal. The reason, the, the way to quell or reduce cravings and hunger signals is to fulfill micronutrient needs. Why does that matter? Because if you have a diet where you don't get excessive hunger and cravings, what does that mean for you? It means that you can sustain your results long term. It's not as hard to get lean because you're not constantly fighting cravings and hunger all the time. How good would that feel, right? That's what we do. Another thing is too much stress and not enough recovery. I'm going to rattle off the list here. Stress looks like training, workouts, work, your, your actual work, your occupation, life, just being alive, stimulants, caffeine, uh, Ritalin, anything like that, sedatives, alcohol, that type of stuff, all of those things. Most people use stimulants and sedatives routinely, uppers and downers. They'll take caffeine through the day and then they'll need sleeping pills or they'll need alcohol to get themselves down in the evening. It just It's like that Band-Aid on the bullet wound concept. Um, other stress factors look like cardio and high-intensity interval training. Environmental factors like pollutants in your environment. If you're just in a constantly closed AC environment, um, if you've just done fresh paint all over your walls, like chemicals in your environment, even artificial light, lots of blue light. Things like stimulating news, movies, and social media. Like if you're at uh, up at night and you have all the lights turned on and you're watching like some hardcore action movies and scrolling through Facebook and getting all uh, pissed off about the news and stuff and highly aroused, that is, that's accumulative stress. So on top of your training, on top of the stress at work, on top of any other stresses you have, that's accumulating on top of that. And it all comes together to affect your hormones and neurotransmitters suboptimally. Multitasking, jumping between one thing and another and another and another, back and forth, doing 50 things at once, you're burning through tons of cognitive energy. That accumulative cognitive energy burn is a form of cognitive stress basically you can take cognitive stress environmental stress um, visual stress in the form of like action movies that type of stuff sedatives stimulants everything can you see how everything we are exposed to outside of our own body can in some way be a form of stress right so how do we mitigate that how do we even recover from that right and why does this matter? It matters in a second. Let me tell you why. Recovery, things like optimal sleep, uh, a, a good mattress, a good pillow, actually getting proper sleep cycles that aren't medicated, uh, daily sun exposure, sun onto your skin and into your eyes, not wearing sunglasses all the time, fresh air, 
not being in a closed AC environment all the time, natural biomes. So getting into a forest, getting into nature, sauna, sauna as much as you can if you have access to one, cold immersion, cold rivers, cold plunges, cold showers, even 30 seconds, some kind of cold immersion, massage to help move your lymphatic system, restorative yoga, which kind of ties into to breathing and breath work, box breathing, that type of thing, nasal breathing. Intermittent fasting is very restorative. That can be a form of recovery. Habit stacking, the, the antithesis to multitasking, where you have one habit that prompts another one, which prompts another one, which prompts another one. I, I talk about this often where uh, I have in the morning, I set up my little uh, little teapot and I have my any of the supplements that I need to take and everything's lined up on the kitchen bench. And it's all there for me, ready to go. So when I get up in the morning, all I need to do is see my tea is ready and it makes me do the next action, take any supplements that I need to take, which takes the next action, which, you know, so it, it, you basically one action causes a cascade of actions that follow that. That's how you remove a lot of like the cognitive wear and tear because you're not, you're just thinking about the first step. And then the next step paves way for the next thing, which paves way for the next thing, which paves way for the next thing. Rather than thinking about every single item as an individual to do, it's going to take a lot of mental energy to remember all those things. And so habit stacking is really powerful. And remember, there's this concept called the hormetic effect where too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So if you spent five hours in a sauna, you probably die. If you spend two hours in a cold lake, you'll die. Whereas a little bit of exposure can actually create strength. That's why even though some of these things like cold immersion or sauna might look like a stress factor, short acute bursts of them can actually be a recovery tool if you use them strategically. And that is the take-home point. So Usually what you'll find, and the reason why this matters is because if your stress list is twice or three times as long as your recovery list, then you are likely performing suboptimally hormonally with your ner- and, and with your nervous system arousal. Your sympathetic nervous system is most likely dominant, and that's going to be affecting digestion and nutrient absorption and all these different things. That's going to fundamentally affect what your body does, period. And so that's why we do regular massages, cold immersion. You've probably seen when we travel in the RV, I'm jumping in cold rivers. When I have access to a sauna, I'll do that. We're out in nature and forests all the time, sun exposure as much as possible given the weather, um, really prioritizing a routine sleep cycle, same bedtime and wake time, seven days a week, conscious breath work. I even do a little bit of slow nasal breathing before I eat each meal to calm my nervous system down to get into a parasympathetic state, which is rest and digest. Digest, meaning that then prioritizes how your body breaks down food and assimilates nutrients and partitions it. So can you see here how it's it's more complex than people realize, but at the same time, once you look at these things individually, it's not really super complicated. You just have to understand how all these pieces come together. Another important part is straight up, I'll just be honest with you guys, a lack of accountability. Most people want to try and bootleg a process and they're like, well, once I get in, um, you know, once I get in a position where I can afford coaching, um, I'll get healthy first, I'll get my energy back, then I'll be more productive and then I'll get some coaching. 
it doesn't work like that. If it worked like that, you, you, you'd already have the result, wouldn't you? If it worked that way, you would already be in the position you want to be in. The reason why it doesn't work like that is because you need to do the hard thing. You need to bite that bullet first, get the coaching, be accountable to a system while you're imperfect, while you're not ready, and allow that mentor to help prepare you and get you the result that you're looking for. People have it backwards. They're like, I'll wait till I'm more financially stable and I'll wait till I'm more ready to do this stuff. And it's like, you're not, if, if that was true, you would be there already. The reason why it's not true is because you have it backwards, period. And I got asked this question by a student the other day and they said, are you worried that people are the fitness coaches or people will, you know, take your ideas and sell it as their own or just go away and take your information and just use it. Like this podcast, for example, people could go through these episodes and be like, man, I've got everything I need to go crush it. And I'm like, no, only about 1% of the people succeed at this long term. And they truly, and, and those are the only people that reach their true potential because they're the only ones who fully commit to taking action. Most folks just give up after the first couple of roadblocks. They can steal a design, an idea, a strategy, but long-term success is about consistent, relentless, forward-moving action. And so people who get coaching at a higher level, they are forward-moving action takers. And everyone has access to this information. Why is it that only a few people have the result? Again, because most people will just give up after a couple of roadblocks. They won't even know how to navigate them. That's why coaching matters, guys. That's why you should get on our 14-day Veg Up Challenge. This is where it begins. The link is in the, in the bio of this podcast. Sign up for that. If anything I've said to you during this process has resonated, get on that and start the first stepping stone in the right direction to transform. That's the first stepping stone in the journey. That's where you want to begin if you want to have a system that starts to factor in all of these pillars. So that is it, guys. That's a wrap up. Common fallacious mistakes. Can you see here? There's a lot of different things that come into play. So when someone is in a Facebook group, for example, and they're like, oh, your calories or protein. And I'm just here shaking my head like, man, like you've got like one fragment, one thread of a tapestry of challenges or things that someone needs to be aware of. And it's guesswork at best. Because people and people never take the time to understand someone's context. They just rattle off what they think the answer is without even probing deeper and to understand where is this person coming from? What does their history look like? What does their background look like? What have they been doing? Right? So context is very, very important. So remember, if there's anything that's resonated with you today, jump on board, email me, let's get on some coaching or check out our VegUp 14-Day Challenge. Get on that as well. And Share this episode, guys. Help us get this content out to people. The fitness industry, not just the plant-based vegan industry, but the fitness industry in general is rife with bad information that perpetuates eating disorders and mental dysfunction. We need to be the difference. So help us get it out there. You be a shining example of what that looks like today. Go out into the world and live your best life. Talk to you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Veg Up Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes go live. Please leave us a review and share this on social media. Tag me. Let me know what helped you. Let me know what you want to hear more of. Let's get this information out to the world. Help me do that. And be sure to email us over at fraser at evolvingalpha.com 
for coaching options and mentorship. Because if you want growth, it begins here, my friend.